Anthony, welcome. Thank you, Danny. Good sitting here with you. Uh, we spent a couple of days together now. We got to know each other, had a couple of good meals. Did a shot last night. We did a shot last <laughs> night, a margarita. Um, tell me about, I'll start with the main topic of today, mm -hmm. uh, which is yoga. Mm -hmm. We just finished filming a yoga-related course, um, some benefits surrounding yoga, some values of yoga, some certain poses, practices, sequences of yoga. How did you get involved with yoga originally? Uh, what brought you into it? And I have a um, personal connection to the subject myself because mm -hmm. I'm a beginner practitioner in yoga um, and I see it as an immense challenge and it only proves to me how maybe ignorant I was to the practice. Um, I don't see it as a negative thing. I just, um, I know I still have a lot of time Mm -hmm. uh, to learn it, develop within it, um, and see how it affects my life. Um, but what, what brought you into yoga? Well, the short answer is my sister. She actually encouraged me to come to a class with her. Um, but the long answer is it would just show up in my life time and time again. Um, and I wouldn't be looking for it. Like that was the weird thing. Like for instance, when I lived in London, I was going on the subway one day and there was a sign that said a course in happiness. And it didn't get into any detail about what the course was about, but I just thought, you know what, that looks interesting. Sure enough, I'd sign up for the course and it was all about meditation. And that was like the emphasis. Um, or for instance, I'd sign up for an acting class because I wanted to learn more about acting. And sure enough, I'd show up and a lot of the course was about how to use meditation as a tool for acting. So it was just like kind of a little strange, a little synchronistic in terms of how often it would just show up in my life. So I guess I'd like to say yoga found me, if that makes sense. I know it's cliche, but it's just kind of how it happened. I asked you about yoga and you brought up meditation a couple of times. Can mm. we separate the two? Well, so here's the thing. They, they go hand in hand. They essentially are both meditation practices. One is a moving meditation. One, obviously, you're practicing in stillness. And so the links there, they're meant to be practiced together. In fact, the whole intention with yoga originally was to prepare the body for meditation. And so you can totally separate them because they can exist independently of each other, but they're also interconnected in such a way that they're sort of designed to go hand in hand, if that makes sense. It does make sense, but it does a lot of what we know as yoga, like the average person on the street that hears yoga and thinks about downward dog, upward dog, you know, the, 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 the cliche of yoga, right. um, is a lot of that westernized yoga as a lot of it reinvented in recent history um yes and no in the sense that it has been reinvented many times some people have gone so far as to try to just do set sequences where they sort of i, want, I don't want to say patent because you can't patent yoga but they'll take a set series of sequences and do those time and time again and sort of call it their own um but a lot of the yoga we're still practicing really is connected to the original lineage But that being said, there's also different ways to practice yoga and some of them aren't even based in the physical at all. And so it certainly has been adapted, but if you really look at things closely, it always comes back to sort of the origins. But I don't know if you remember me saying this earlier in the course, it's even hard to track that because we're going back thousands of years and a lot of the early teachings really were imparted from teachers to students directly and there was no written explanation 
you really had to like find a guru and that guru had to find trust in you to feel like they were able to share those practices because they were considered so sacred. And, you know, going back to the Eastern lineage, they really didn't want these practices to be taken lightly, let's say. Really had to be disciplined. And their fear was that if they shared the practice and it wasn't shared properly, that it would lose its sort of quality or uh, substance, let's say. Are we there now? (laughs) Are we there now in that stage where um, it's not taken maybe as seriously by everyone as they wanted it to be and which is why it was almost withheld information right definitely we see that a lot um but in some ways i think it's positive too like and i'll give you an example of this um for instance one of the ways that i'm sort of like adapting my own personal practice is i like to infuse creativity and i know like there'd probably be some guru rolling around in his grave if they were disappointed (laughs) and yeah yeah. totally i'd be shunned in the yoga world um And so, you know, like things are also meant to be adapted to the Western world to make it practical for us, right? Because not everybody wants to approach their practice in such a rigid way in the sense that sometimes it can sort of take away some uh, freedom or creativity. So there is benefit to it for sure. um, But I think it all just depends on the way you feel at the end. And I've certainly gone to classes that have been watered down and I haven't gotten that same feeling. And I've also been to classes that have been adapted, um, and I've gotten just as much out of it. So I think it really just depends on the approach and if it works for you, if that makes sense. Is a benefit to having it accessible to everyone is that it's accessible to everyone? For sure. And I think that's the key. And a lot of my work is geared towards that. It's like taking yoga out of the studio, bringing it into forums like schools or like hospitals where, you know, these are environments where we tend to benefit even more because they're stressful environments their learning environments and when you pair the practice of yoga or mindfulness and meditation in these settings you're creating a better environment for everybody to work in or learn in and so i think there's value in that so yoga found you yoga found me how would describe to me the beginning stages of your yoga journey oh my god i hated it yeah that's yeah well i shouldn't say that hates a strong word but Let's put it this way. The first class that I was telling you about that my sister brought me to was a Bikram yoga class. Yeah. And honestly, Danny, I thought I was going to die. I was in there. It was so hot. Notorious classes. Oh, it was for so many, For many different reasons. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was just like a very intense experience. But I'll tell you what kind of got me hooked was even though I was having this intense experience where I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack because it was so intense. When I looked around the room and I saw everybody else around me, And I noticed how calm they looked, how focused they looked, and what they were able to do with their bodies. I thought, how is it possible that that person next to me is having that experience? And I'm over here trying to just stop myself from having a panic attack. And so there was something that really kind of got me interested in how to get to that place myself. Um, And so I wasn't necessarily enjoying it in the beginning, if that makes sense. But I was really focused on trying to get to that point because I just thought, wow, that person looks like they're really in control of their experience right now. And I want to get to that place myself. I used to be an athlete and a competitive athlete. And we were put through many rigorous fitness sessions, which included a lot of running, a lot of sprinting. Now it doesn't matter how fit you are, but when you're put in a situation where you have to sprint for a long time, like I think most people that are maybe have never sprinted for more than 15 seconds, 20 seconds, don't know like the, the pain that mm-hmm. follows when sprinting for so long. So those were always challenging. Even an easy 
sprinting fitness session is extremely challenging and by the third, fourth, fifth, however many sets you're in, you reach a point where you just, you want to quit. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the mind games step in. That's when you need to start convincing yourself that you can survive it and you start maybe uh, seeing how far you are from the end of this session. Mm -hmm. But I personally, I've always, 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 even if I... Maybe people around me, it seemed like I was able to finish everything and do so well or not or whatever the case might be. But I, inside my brain, always felt that very quickly I wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. I think I never did or very rarely. Well, I don't think so, but I always tried to finish whatever I was starting and finish well is the point. But I always felt that when I was doing it with people and I saw people... Uh, going through the exact same thing I was going through, maybe teammates, maybe uh, just people around me who are doing the same uh, fitness drills, fitness sessions that I'm doing, when I saw them in the same pain, same situation that I was, and that they weren't quitting, it always gave me a gush of energy mm-hmm. and always gave me the ability to stay calm, stay focused, and keep going. And it almost made the physical pain easier to um, to to suffer through. 100%. Did you feel something uh, similar? It seems like something similar you're describing. So you're in your first yoga session, you want to quit mm-hmm. or you want to at least quit the specific position you're standing, sitting in, uh, lunging in, um, and you're looking around and you see people that are calm, collected, focused. Did it intrigue you? Because this gap in my brain, where going from wanting to quit and then looking to my left and seeing my friend completely focused and you know um, just looking straight ahead and completely determined to finish this specific set or this specific session um, proved to me that there is this element in my brain that can take over and do wonders for you yeah i mean i feel like that is the magic of yoga right there is that transcendence of mind Right. And I think all of us have those thoughts, whether they're limiting thoughts or the thoughts that say, I can't do this or this hurts. And part of the beauty of yoga is transcending thoughts altogether. And it creates a new relationship with pain and discomfort. And I think that's the thing we need to remember is that pain is actually interpreted in the mind, right? Like we have the body communicating the senses. And so the pain is sensed, but all of that information and data is sent to the brain and the brain processes it. And one of the interesting things about meditation is it actually changes your relationship to pain. And that's one of the main benefits through yoga and meditation is you actually have a higher pain threshold or higher tolerance. And it just goes to show you that so much of pain, so much of discomfort in general in life is actually from our own mind and perception of what we're going through and our analysis of that versus the experience itself. And I think that's what yoga teaches you. It's like you can't control your circumstances and sometimes the circumstances in life are stressful but what you can control is how you perceive those circumstances, right? And that's part of the beauty of it is getting to that point where you transcend that part of your mind that's saying, ow, or, you know, I don't like this, or this sucks, or this doesn't feel good. And you're just simply connecting to something else like your breath, what you're able to do in that moment to overcome that. And it totally changes your relationship and your whole experience with whatever it is you're doing. So I'm not going to hold you to that word hated yoga in the beginning, <laughs> yeah, let's but, that one. but let's go with that in a very uh, simplistic way. It was very challenging, very difficult, I'm assuming. Um, what made you keep going? Um, I mean, or did you? Did you ever, did you go once, twice, take a break, come back? Or I was, got hooked. 
from the first one. Yeah, from the first one. In fact, I I started going religiously, like at least three, four times a week, where that was the highlight of my day. And you know, I was living in London at time and uh, at the time, and it would literally take up three hours of my day by the time I'd get there, by the time I'd practice, shower, go home. So it was like a ritual that became I don't want to say essential, but it was really sort of what was motivating me at that point in my life. I was getting more value out of that than anything else. Um, and I think, you know, it, it was definitely very much inspired by what I saw was possible through the people that had been practicing for a while and what I saw that they were capable of. But another thing for me was just I was so tight. I'd always trained um, in a very fitness-oriented way. I went to the gym, I lifted weights, and I didn't feel good in my body. I'd go for runs and my knee would give out. I could hardly touch my toes. I had major lower back issues. My hamstrings were so tight. I remember going to a doctor and a doctor putting me on his table and stretching me out. And I think I was like 16 at the time. And he's like, you've got tighter hamstrings than 50 year olds that come into my office. And as a young person, I never had the capacity to stick to things that I knew were good for me. And it wasn't until that point in my life, I think I was something like 25 at the time where I really knew that it was important. Otherwise, my quality of life would be affected. And so that was a huge motivation for me, was just like dealing with some of the ailments of my body that were limiting me and were affecting, you know, just the way I felt my body. You, I mean, you, you're obviously a, a strong-looking uh, guy. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, were you fit when you started? Yeah, I mean, I was fit. It's so funny, right? Because like what one person describes as fit is what another person, but I know what you mean. And I was fit in a strong way. Than the average person. Yeah, totally. And I was like, I was strong. I could go to the gym. I could carry my own on the bench press. I had a lot of strength in that way, but it wasn't functional strength. And that's something yoga taught me is like there's strength in the sense that, yeah, you can put a heavy dumbbell in your arm or on your chest and push it up and down. But then when it comes to more complex movements, like being able to balance being able to move agilely, being able to touch your toes, those types of things, I was so out of shape. But when it came to just like mechanical movements, like lifting weights, I was super strong. I think that a lot of people, even people in my uh, circle of family, friends, are intrigued by the practice of yoga, uh, know that it'll be good for them. One thing you said to me, I think yesterday, was that if you search on Google or any other um search engine for practices to make you happier to make you stronger to make you um just more fulfilled then you will always see yoga meditation breathing exercises all come in to those right in the top page top two pages always there 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 um i think that people know it yeah i think there's a confidence issue for people to show up and go. So my question to you in the beginning, so you realize that there's a big gap here, that um, you were not able to do everything and you weren't able to maybe stay as calm and collected as people around you. Um, Was it a challenge though to go those three, four times a week before stepping in the gym? Totally. And, And I think this is also like one of the main things. It's like the way we approach practice in the Western world is so competitive, right? It's like how to be the best, how to get better at this. And that's one thing yoga teaches you too, is to drop that. Cause the sooner you drop that and the more you just start listening to your body and doing what feels good in your body. And the more you focus on your breathing versus just like your own challenges in your mind telling you, Oh, you got to do that to look good or to do this properly. The more you just like let all of that go and stop caring and just really focus on what you're doing in the moment 
I think it's like the key to practice and also the key to creativity. You know what I mean? It's like it is vulnerable in the sense that to be creative in life is to drop your own judgments or your own expectations of where you're trying to get to. And you just sort of enjoy the ride and just let things flow. And yoga teaches you that. It's like, forget about what you look like, forget about how good you are and just do what you can and focus on what you're doing. And it transforms the whole practice. So even if you're not good, it doesn't matter because you're like, you're there, you're breathing, you're focused and you're getting that benefit because that is the main benefit is the state of mind you're in. Right. It's like, it really doesn't matter what your body's doing. It doesn't matter if your body looks like mine or if each posture is done perfectly. Like, of course there's room to grow in all of those areas, but you can learn the concept really quick. And if you catch that main concept really quick, you can start enjoying yourself from the get go. I think that's the thing people need to realize is like, who cares what you look like? Who cares if you can't do things properly if you're not there for that reason and you can stop judging yourself and stop overanalyzing everything and just be in the moment and breathe and connect to what you are feeling in your body. Even if your body's not in the correct position, then you're totally going to like take something major away from yoga. So most of the benefit is showing up, detaching from your day-to-day responsibilities, thoughts, uh, comparisons, contrasts that you make in your head and simply letting go for 60 minutes 90 minutes however long the yoga session is you got it baby that's it's it. all about that's it that's just it. show up <laughs> just show up like they say about most things right yeah just show up and it um, does carry over right it's like a lesson to be applied to everything in life where does meditation come in mindfulness you're obviously showing up to a yoga studio you're a beginner you're going through these rigorous workout these poses that are very challenging um, with the meditation, breathing exercises, was that imposed early in your practice? Um, you know, most forms of yoga incorporate some level of breath work. Um, I was doing Bikram yoga at that time. My practice has come a long way from that place. I now practice vinyasa yoga. You know, there's different types. And most of them, if not all of them, include some type of breathing exercise. But just like anything, like that could be your primary practice where you're just doing breath work at home. And there's so many different types of exercises. So most types of yoga will introduce you to like one or two exercises that you'll practice consistently. But there really is a whole world in and of itself that focuses just on breath work, let's say, or just meditation practices. Um, But most types of yoga try to incorporate and expose you to all of those components. So whatever you practice, you're always exposed to some sort of breathing, um, some sort of breath work. Usually, you know, it's not to say every teacher, at every studio is going to incorporate breath work in their practice. But I mean, just the practice of yoga, for instance, there is such a huge emphasis on breathing that you're still getting that element. Um, but hopefully I think what makes a good class, what makes a good teacher is someone that is able to share as many tools and strategies that are effective And the cool thing is with breath work, let's say it's almost like prescriptive in the sense that I could give you a breathing exercise to try to get you to a certain place within your nervous system that is specific for where you're at today. You know, so for instance, if you're tired, I could give you a breath work that's going to activate your sympathetic nervous system to awaken your body and energize you. Or on the contrary, if you're anxious and feeling ungrounded, I could give you an exercise that's going to downregulate your body and put you into that parasympathetic state, relax you and help you to find um, just a better sense of ease within yourself as opposed to get you all ramped up. So since the early days of starting yoga, being introduced to yoga, you haven't stopped? Uh, I have had moments of break. 
I have, you know, and I teach this, this is my full-time gig. A lot of teachers, you know, they teach as passion projects and, you know, it's one class a week or whatever. And so that has been a challenge for me in certain moments, you know, when you're doing something all day for other people and then you kind of forget yourself at the end of the day. Um, but this is where meditation has always been sort of like a staple in my life in the sense that sometimes because I've moved around so much and demonstrated so much yoga, like I get home and it's not necessarily what my body wants to do, but meditation is something I always, um, it helps me to stay connected to the practice in some sense. And so if I'm tired, if I feel like I've, all I've done is yoga all day, maybe the thing that I'm going to do for myself is just a little bit of grounding meditation, taking, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So it's like, I'm not necessarily practicing yoga all the time. I mean, I've been doing it for 13 years. It's never completely left my life, but like anyone, I'll go for a week, let's say, and maybe not get to my mat, but I'm always connected to it through meditation. When you don't do yoga, were you, do you think to yourself, I should have done yoga today? Um, for sure. And it's more like the way I feel in my body. Like I, I get the mental aspect through meditation. You know what I mean? I get to that place where I feel good. I feel calm and that's always present for me. But if I miss my yoga practice consistently, I really start to feel a difference in my body. And it's, it's something that, you know, because I've had it for such a long period in my life, I've really fixed a lot of the root causes in terms of where I was limited in range of motion. And so I always keep that level of comfort within myself. Um, but if I'm not practicing for a long time, I totally, I, I start to feel it for sure. Do you, do you come from any sort of athletic background? I know you're from Canada, um, hockey, Uh, what else do the Canadians play out there? Huh? <laughs> Just hockey. Just hockey, right? That's it. Too cold for anything else. That's it. Uh, did you play hockey growing up? I did. I played up until I was, I think, 16 or 17. Um, never super competitively. Like, I think the most I'd play was a few times a week. I played rep. That's what we call it there. So it's like a pretty high caliber. It wasn't all the way to the top. But yeah, hockey was a big part of my life. So you're active in hockey, like training every week? Yeah, there was like, I'd say, you know, a few sessions every week for sure. Um, and it's interesting because I was a goaltender and now that I look back at my life and all the things I've been interested in, there's always been this common thread of meditation. And like, even as a goalie, your biggest asset is your focus and your reflexes, right? So you don't necessarily need the stamina that someone that's playing in a forward position to need because you're skating all over the rink, but like your greatest asset is your mind. Um, and if you let in a bad goal, you're the one that's to blame for it. And so, so much of it's mental. Um, and so it's like, I'm always drawn to these practices that are both mental and focus oriented. And I feel like even in hockey, that's what my intention was. You know what I mean? Like as a goaltender, those were my greatest assets. What's your relationship with injuries in my, my personal life? Um, you know what? I've never had any major injuries. I've definitely had major tension. Like I mentioned my hamstrings to you before, um, I definitely have had moments where I'll get like pinched shoulders or my knee doesn't feel quite right. But honestly, like, and I don't mean to be like a major plug for yoga and I'm not just like making this up, but it really has made me feel so good in my body. Like if anything, aside from the mental benefits of yoga and aside from the stress reduction benefits, like it is so therapeutic and you would be amazed at what you can fix within your body through the practice of yoga. In fact, like even People like Dr. Joe Dispenza, for instance, that are really passionate about meditation and its healing properties. Like you really can fix pretty much anything that's going on, you know, because here's the thing, like 
most treatments that we come up with, most doctors' approaches don't really look at root cause. And that to me is a holistic practice, right? We focus on symptom. How do I fix that symptom? But sure, you can mask that symptom, but if you don't get to the cause of it, you're never really going to find major change within your body. And here's the thing, like even though everyone's root cause is a little bit different, it all comes back to the same thing, which is stress. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Stress is pretty much the cause of most pain and suffering within our life, you know? Even if it's emotional stress, even if it's work stress, even if it's just the stress of doing the same movements or not enough movement throughout the day, it always comes back to that root cause of stress. And yoga gets to that. Did you ever find yourself, though, needing to see a... a physical therapists, manual therapists, massage therapists to deal with any shoulder impingements, knee problems while practicing yoga the last decade or so? You know what? Before, here's the thing with teaching, because when you're teaching, you're often demonstrating and you're not doing things with proper integrity in the sense that like I'm talking instead of breathing, you know, or I'm doing three classes in a day and all of a sudden I'm walking around the room for the first half of the class because like I need to be there with my students But then all of a sudden I need to demonstrate a pose that's advanced and I haven't done the proper warm up myself and I'm just getting into it. And so teaching has been the biggest detriment to all of the benefit that I've gotten from being a student. But the periods in my life, for instance, where I take a month off and I go off on my own little adventure and I reconnect back to my practice, it's amazing how I get right back into just that feeling of how regenerative and how healing it is for my own body. But when I'm teaching regularly, it can sometimes put me backwards because you're just, you know, you're not really in your own practice and you're not doing things properly. You're you're more there to support other people in their practice. Has it changed you as a person teaching? For sure. I mean, it's given me the greatest sense of fulfillment I've ever had in my life. So I think that's huge. Um, It's not to say that sometimes I still don't want to explore other areas of who I am or what I have to offer in terms of, you know, what I bring to my purpose and other people's life. But I'll tell you this much, like working in schools has been so rewarding for me. I feel like it's very much ingrained in my life's purpose is to not only share this practice, but to do it in that setting. A, I love kids. I think they're amazing. The energy that they have and B, like there's that saying, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but like if every child was taught to meditate, the world would know peace. I haven't heard him, but I like it. It's beautiful. And it makes so much sense to me because like, you know, we're here to empower younger generations because they are the future. And for me to be able to share something that I know can be that powerful and that dramatic and effective in someone's life and to do it at an age where they're so impressionable. It's honestly like it's what gets me out of bed so many days to just know that I have such an intense purpose and to know that it is essentially helping people. So yeah, being a teacher, as much as it's hurt my body, it definitely gives me a huge sense of fulfillment. And I couldn't imagine myself doing many other things, to be honest with you. Because it comes with responsibility too, no? Um, Obviously, yoga doesn't have to be dangerous, but it can very easily be dangerous. In many ways, I'm I'm speaking even psychologically dangerous. Uh, Even we were speaking yesterday about you can suddenly find yourself in psychological states Mm -hmm. that you've never been in before. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think my approach through that is to just always be as honest and genuine as possible in the sense that sometimes it's admitting that I don't know everything, you know, or sometimes it's just allowing someone to feel comfortable in the sense that my approach is very much 
westernized in the sense that if you were to go to India, your teacher is going to tell you to do it this way. And if you don't do it that way, you're wrong. You know, they're very strict, very harsh. And in the Western world, we take this more sort of hands-off approach. And it's like, I'm going to share this with you. This is what I do, but do it in your own way. Make it make sense for you. If this doesn't feel good, stop, you know? And for me, that makes so much sense because that's how I approach life. I don't like to tell anybody how to do something. I'll give you guidelines. I'll give you advice. I'll share with you my personal experience and I'll be honest about that. But there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And so for me, it's to share what I do know, which comes from my own practice, but to always be super clear that it's sort of like you take this and you make it your own and you do what works for you. And sort of it takes the onus of responsibility off me because I think there's something in that for all of life. It's like we're all responsible for ourselves at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And I think if we make that clear and we're just honest about that, then it's sort of their responsibility to be doing what's right for them. And sometimes that means going to seek a professional doctor's advice and see what they have to say for you. You know, I'm just honest about what I know. And what I know is the poses themselves and how to share that. But at the end of the day, it's sort of what works for them. I started touching on earlier on the fact that I think a lot of people would like to start practicing yoga um, in its different uh, forms, whether it's, you know, you know, you mentioned different types of yoga. Um, there's different uh, ways to practice it, whether it's, you know, just maybe breathing exercises, just meditating, doing the physical parts, trying out poses. I think many people are interested in it, but they lack maybe confidence or, you know, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing sure. to, to step into a studio where you think in your mind that everyone is so much more advanced than you. Everyone has figured it out already. Uh, so it's very scary walking into a studio. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a benefit, like teaching kids that maybe don't have that um, no, uh, preconceived notion about what yoga is and what they look like while performing the, the poses or that maybe, you know, there's some... Um, you know, some people think that it's, it's only for girls. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think like teaching kids um, allows you maybe to touch on certain things that much more difficult to touch on with uh, grown-ups? A hundred percent. In fact, like here's the ironic part is as much as it's important to teach kids, the reality is, is most kids are already okay. You know, kids are already vulnerable. Kids are already open kids aren't necessarily stressed you know they're enjoying life they're in the moment they're they're doing all of the things that yoga is teaching us to do it's like yoga unconditions all of the conditions that have been put on us that we come into later in life but exactly what you just said it's like the reason for me to be there is to impart that tool and that wisdom so that it's there because some kids do need it too right like some kids go through trauma at very young ages and they can absolutely use those strategies and those practices even early in life. But the reality is, is most kids are okay. And so a lot of what I'm there doing is teaching them these tools for later in life. It's also creating a familiarity with the practice. So it's not strange. It's not weird. And in fact, I've had so many schools tell me point blank, you know, the reason we brought you in today is because you're a male. And a lot of people think yoga is for girls. And so we'd like you to role model, role model that so that the boys are just as interested as the girls are. And you know what, like it is what it is. And so if that's my reason for being there is to just role model that for young boys in, in certain instances, and that's fine too. It's like part of um, bringing yoga outside of the studio is to do exactly what you just said. And it's to make everyone feel like 
like it's accessible and applicable to them in some way. I've reached a point where I, like, you know, performing a backbend um, seemed like such a crazy thing to me, um, which I was always told to avoid. Letting my head hang backwards, I was always instructed, don't ever attempt it, it's dangerous. Right. All these movements that we're just... um, we're like trained mm-hmm. in a way to stay in our robotic state right. um, forcing us to become the opposite of flexible you're sitting in a chair all day even when you work out because mm-hmm. workouts are very robotic uh, even you know I run even when I run it's pr- it's a pretty robotic uh, repetitive movement mm-hmm. um, so I noticed that performing these weird weird you know I say which I'll touch on in a second too. Uh, weird <laughs> yoga poses, Joe. Um, performing these new poses, um, introducing my body to new directions, new twists, new bends, I suddenly realized that I'm capable physically to perform many more things that I ever thought that I was. Um, right. So I'm also changing in my mind what I thought strength meant, um, what I thought... Um, endurance meant uh, means to me um what you know staying calm and focused during a workout has changed completely to me mm-hmm. for example there's certain poses where you almost feel like you're having a panic attack right even not especially bo- backbends especially backbends um espe- even um uh, what's the one where your legs are straight up in the air and you f- you you lean them backwards Plow pose, where plow pose, plow pose, which you um, you specifically mentioned to me mm-hmm. yesterday was, in your opinion, one of the more important ones. Right, if done properly. If done sure. properly. <laughs> um, so sometimes, you know, after a long um, yoga session, being in the plow pose, um, I almost feel like like someone's out to get me. Right. In my brain. Yeah. Um, and just you know, staying, trying to stay calm in those eight breaths, ten breaths is extremely challenging. Right. And the no, if I go for 10 runs, I feel that my pace of improvement is pretty quick mm-hmm. uh, when, if I'm consistent with it and I'm doing my best. But to improve that feeling of anxiety, to help myself, my mind um, erase that feeling of anxiety and that feeling of someone chasing me in this plow pose mm-hmm. um, is, it almost seems to not go away. Mm-hmm. Ever. Interesting. Maybe a little bit at every time, but very, very minimally. Right. But what I do notice is that I get less freaked out. Right. Do uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, even if you're not changing the level of discomfort, you're changing your relationship to it. Exactly. Thank yeah. You. And that's kind of one of the philosophies that ties into yoga and life is that, you know, it's not about getting rid of stress. Like if you're trying to avoid stress in life, because we, we know stress is bad, especially when it's chronic and it's all the time. Um, but like what science actually has proven, it's, it's not that stress is bad. It's when stress becomes an everyday thing that it becomes bad. And in fact, like a lot of the things that yoga teaches us, it's not to avoid stress or postures that bring up that sensation of fight or flight, which is what you're describing. 
Um, but in fact, it's like finding tools and strategies to better deal with that. And often it means like dropping your analysis and where your thoughts go with like, oh, this is bad or I'm going to hurt myself or all of that inner dialogue that sort of adds fuel to the fire of discomfort. And it teaches you to just breathe because here's where the biohack comes in with yoga is even in moments where you're in fight or flight or you're in a distressing situation, you always have some level of control over your nervous system. And breathing is the number one way to affect change in your nervous system, right? Because breath regulates everything else. It's like if your breath is slow and deep, your heart rate slows down, your blood pressure drops, and you enter rest and digest mode. As soon as breath becomes deep, rapid, we're going into fight or flight. All of a sudden, the body's oxygenating itself. It's ready to perform. It's ready to overcome whatever it's going through. And so if you can be in a distressing situation... And you can send an alternate signal from your mind to your body to downregulate. You're basically training yourself to be in that same situation. Nothing's changed. You're still in that same pose. You're still dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with, but you're sending a new signal. And it doesn't mean that you're going to completely leave fight or flight and enter this calm and euphoric state all the time. But even if it's just reducing that level of discomfort or how far down that spectrum of fight or flight you go. You know what I mean? Because fight or flight's not always bad. Like we need fight or flight, even for me to get out of this chair, essentially my body needs to activate the sympathetic nervous system just to elevate my heart rate enough to get up and maybe take a few steps, right? That's still essentially fight or flight. Is it all the way down the spectrum where all of a sudden my heart's beating a thousand miles a minute and I'm in a full state of panic, right? So it's like, even if we're in that sympathetic state or even if we're in a stressful circumstance, it's finding a way to still maintain some level of calm, some level of equanimity, we call it, where there's acceptance of whatever it is we're going through and we're just breathing through it. That's the goal. Weird yoga poses. <laughs> oh, you know, What's your relationship with um, the way the average person on the street sees yoga, um, right. how they react to yoga, you know, namaste, um, you know, the, right. in, in a sarcastic way, maybe. Um, like last night. At like last, yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, do you, do you accept it? Uh, does it bother you at all? Oh my God, not at all. Honestly, like I, and here's the thing, I'm surrounded by people that get it. I'm surrounded by people that have it be such a part of their life that I never feel like I'm challenged by. I'm certainly, I've been in environments where people feel that way. I, I never take anything in life personal. Um, but one thing I will say is my personal practice has changed so much. Like, you know, I started with Bikram yoga, it's super intense. I got into vinyasa yoga and I was super into like arm balances and doing handstands. And it was almost acrobatic for a long period of my life. And I've gradually gone down the other end of the spectrum where now I just like to cross my legs and, you know, just breathe and relax. Like, so it's like my practice has changed so much. My relationship to it always changes. And I totally understand that people are always going to meet the practice based on where they're at in their life and it's nothing personal and it's okay for someone's practice to be drastically different than mine or for someone to not even to completely understand what yoga is all about you know and so it's just like always approaching it in a way that makes sense to you I think maybe that's a bit of a western way of you know approaching yoga but it works for me I use breath work meditation mindfulness interchangeably which I don't think I should uh, do you mind do you mind explaining right. what they are, what the differences are? Yeah, it's a hard one, right? Because there's a gray area. They're all interconnected in the sense that like meditation and mindfulness, I don't want to say are the same thing, but essentially they have the same roots. And so the way I always explain the difference is like meditation is the practice itself. 
It is the, is the tool, it is the um, exercise that you can implement in order to achieve that state of presence and deep awareness. Mindfulness, the easiest way to describe it is like, what do you do with that awareness? So it's like, okay, you practice meditation, you get to a place where you're present, you get to a place where you're really aware of what's happening around you. But then mindfulness is integrating that into things that exist beyond the practice. And so like as we're having this conversation right now, it's me listening to what you're saying. It's me being as much in the moment as possible so that I'm not just thinking and overanalyzing. I'm listening to what you're saying. Or if I was going to be eating a meal, it's like tasting the food that I'm eating. It's basically taking that presence and applying it to things that are outside of the practice. But you're still essentially trying to be in that same mind state. And I think that's the connection there is like, it's the same mind state. And so meditation is a mind state of presence. Mindfulness is staying in that state of presence, but then applying it to things outside of the practice, basically bringing that to everything you do in your life. Can you lay out the, maybe the process in sim, in simple ways, um, in a simplistic way of how someone can start meditating, mm-hmm. be quote unquote bad at meditating and actually improve mm-hmm. and feel that self-improvement because obviously meditating is not something like bench press hey right. I, I can bench press 200 pounds i can bench press 250 pounds it's very tangible very visual right right someone can claim to be the biggest meditation guru in the world and maybe not even be meditating right we have no idea Um, I also, again, now I see it as ignorant, but the first time I was exposed to meditating, I thought that it just was not for me, not for the type of person I am, not for, uh, the type of brain I have because I closed my eyes and the first thing I thought about was what I have to do in 20 minutes, what I have to do tomorrow, um, what I'm eating for dinner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like everyone else, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I completely put it aside, never even put uh, another thought into it until I did. Um, So again, still at the early stages of it. um, And what helped me was someone laying out for me the the early stages, the beginning process of really like finding your first uh, footing in this wild west of Mm. um, meditation inside your own personal brain. Right. You know, it's funny too, like so many people have this false idea that meditation is stopping thought. But here's the thing, that's a byproduct of meditation, right? And so that does happen. We start to quiet the mind and thoughts reduce for sure. But that's not the goal or the means of how we get there, if that makes sense. And so what I always say, I like to believe that meditation's for everyone, the same way I think we're all creative deep down. If we like, you know, remove the obstacles and judgments, I like to think there's something in it for everyone. However, people have different ways of getting there. You know what I mean? Like some person might find a seated practice where they're actually just meditating and breathing to be super helpful, where someone might need to do um, something different to get to a state of presence, right? Like there's different ways to get there. But the one thing I will say is you have to give your mind a task. And that is the key with meditation. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to sit here and every time I thought, I'm going to, every time I think, I'm going to tell myself not to think. It's give your mind something to do. And that's where the practices come in, right? It's like intentionally focusing, giving your mind a task. And sometimes that task is feeling your toes. Sometimes that task is listening to every sound around you. 
Sometimes that task is being aware of the breath as it's coming in and out without controlling it. So there's different things you can give your mind to focus on, but all of those things are happening in the moment and within yourself. Is, this might sound crazy, <laughs> looking, but closing your eyes and looking between your eyebrows. Is that a common task? I mean, that is one way of meditating for sure. I mean, we'd call it, you could call it focusing on the third eye or you could just call it focusing on one part of your body. So that could be absolutely one thing. There's so many different meditations. One meditation, for instance, is staring at a, a burning candle in front of you and just staring at that flame and being deeply present with it. So as long as you're bringing your senses into the moment, some people do that with visualization. Some people do that with body scanning. Some people do that with breath work. That's what I mean about having different means of getting there. Like even for me, I love playing guitar. I love music. That's a meditation for me. You know what I mean? When I pick up my guitar, I'm so deeply present with what I'm doing that I'm meditating. So how, so how does one know? I know this is difficult maybe to uh, to judge or explain, but how does one know if they're on the right track? How does one know if they are improving their own practice of meditation? You will 100% feel it. There is an immediate shift, an immediate difference um, in the sense that one session, whether that's 15 minutes of meditation or one hour of yoga, that you should feel a difference. And that's one of the things that's so amazing about it. Like so many things you have to do that are good for you take time, right? Like if you take supplements, for instance, and you're going the natural route and you're taking vitamins or whatever mineral it is, like you might need to take that supplement for a month to notice a difference in your health or three months yoga you should feel a difference immediately it doesn't mean you're going to enjoy the practice all the way through but at least when you get to the end of it there should be a shift in your awareness in your inner state um i mean generally for me i feel calm i feel more present i feel more connected to myself and i feel like most people should feel that pretty much like after one session what time of day do you meditate I mean, it's different. I'm such a, like, my approach in life is always, like, I don't like rules. I'm kind of like a rule breaker. I always say, like, you know, try to do it as early in the day so that you carry that feeling with you or try to do it at night before bed because you're going into, like, full parasympathetic state where your body's regenerating. And so you're just facilitating an even deeper sleep. But honestly, like, I'll meditate. I almost use it as sort of, like, okay, I'm in a moment where I need to figure something out or I need a moment where I need to reset and then I do it. So for me, it's just sort of when I feel called to in the moment. But if I was to just give general advice, I'd say as early in the morning as possible, but also when you're awake. So if you try to just like do it first thing and you're not a morning person and it takes you like an hour or two to feel awake, then I'd say wait. Um, but try to do it as early as possible when you're at that full level of wakeness. And then at night before bed's another good time too. How's the experience for you teaching online? Um, like we're doing like we've done the last few days um there's a many benefits to it you know exposing yourself to so many people from all around the world um and it's a transition that i'm assuming you had to make whether you wanted to or not uh we have all been through the COVID times mm -hmm. um hopefully through it but how, how did that feel how's that different from teaching in person right so it's funny like i was already on that path pre-covid I'd already set up an online platform. It was like in its early phases, I've improved it and, you know, I've come a long way since then. But COVID absolutely pushed me further and further into that direction, sort of like 
lit a fire under my ass, pardon me for saying that, but like to really get shit done and to have enough content to be able to properly support people. Um, and the biggest thing for me, like when I would go into schools or I'd go into hospitals or I'd go into workplaces, I'd work with people. We'd have this pretty profound experience together where people would feel a difference in their life and they'd be like, oh, you know, that was really good. I feel great. But then it was, okay, see you later. Maybe I'll connect with you again. And I hope you enjoyed today. You know what I mean? And not to say that that didn't have value and people could ultimately continue to pursue it, but have to seek that out. Whereas now when I go into a school, when I go into a hospital or a workplace, we have that one-on-one experience where we're able to like really understand the practice and have a shift in how we feel. But now I have all these amazing online resources to give people. So it's like, okay, you felt that difference, but it's like brushing your teeth. It's like, if you brush your teeth, yeah, that's great for your teeth. You know what I mean? But if you don't do it every day, you're not going to have good dental hygiene. And I feel the same way about mental health and with the practice of yoga. It's not to say that you have to do it every day, but if you're not doing it consistently and you're not getting um, the effect of regulating stress consistently, because let's be honest, stress never goes away, then you're not getting the full benefit. And so now that I've transitioned to online, now I'm able to like have that one-on-one experience, but then support people after so that when they continue on their journey, they now have a ton of resources to do that, whether it's a guided meditation or a yoga flow. And the cool thing is, is like they can do it anytime and from anywhere. So there's zero, <laughs> zero excuses, you know, so they've got all the tools there. So people everywhere, right? Doesn't matter what country you live in. Doesn't matter really how old you are. Everyone experiences pain almost daily, right? If not every hour, every minute of the day. Um, so be, you're practicing yoga practicing meditation can help you probably will help you at least deal with the pain have more control over the over the pain in addition to that and i'm going to head this uh, over to you hand this over to you to answer but i think a lot of people are suffering from conditions joint problems uh you know sciatica nerve damage different things all around his shoulder impingements neck problems that they can fix so there is constant pain in life that we'll always experience but there's also unnecessary pain that we've accepted and would rather take an advil three times a day than stretch three times a day popping an advil is easier right probably also less fulfilling um, less healthy, etc. We know these things. Um, practicing yoga in, a, in its simplistic form, even with you know poses that we've demonstrated on the course, um, will they change people's lives in terms of maybe fixing injuries they have? Uh, because again, most people don't move, mm-hmm. um, so maybe it's as simple as just getting up and moving. Um, maybe it's not. What do you think? So first of all, like, you know, being sedentary, which we all are to some degree or another, or most of us are, is probably one of the worst things for us in terms of how it attributes to pain and discomfort. Which is basically sitting, not moving. Exactly. Right. Like, and even if it's just scrolling on our phone or watching TV at night, like our body is not meant to sit in the same position for long periods of time. 
you know, obviously we've been conditioned to do that through modern lifestyle, through technology, through all of these things that allow us to sit in one place and have a task to do. Whereas before we'd be searching for food or, you know, hunting for it. And so that's the biggest thing is just like counteracting that sedentary lifestyle and being physical movement. Um, but then also the types of movements you're doing in yoga, like you mentioned earlier, they're so out of the ordinary in terms of our normal postures. In fact, they're meant to counteract a lot of the issues we have because of being sedentary in the sense that like when we're hunched forward and our heads dropped and we're looking down at our phone, a lot of those back bends counteract all of that. Right. And so they bring blood flow. Um, not only do they bring blood flow, we're moving so much lymph through our body when we're practicing yoga. So we're activating the lymphatic system, which is clearing out all the waste. It's helping us stay healthy. It helps with immune function. Um, we're also really helping the circulatory system when we're practicing yoga with a lot of these inversions where our head's hanging lower than our heart. It helps reduce our heart rate. Um, it brings blood flow to new areas like our brain. So A, I would just like to say like the types of movement we're doing in yoga are so beneficial. But B, on your point earlier about how, you know, it's easier to take an Advil, that is the one thing about yoga. Like, I know I mentioned you'll feel a difference right away and you will in your mental state, but I should clarify that, like, to get some of the long-term benefits in terms of, like, dealing with aches, pains, and ailments within your body, that can take time. In fact, like, I would say it took me anywhere between, like, I'd say about three years to undo a lot of the stuff that I was working with, so... In terms of like physical pain and dealing with injuries and stuff like that, it's not a quick fix. But you're tackling the root and Correct. not the symptom. Correct. And that's the thing about yoga too. It's like it's impossible to not use every single part of your body when you're doing a flow. You know what I mean? Like you'll notice like even just a sun salutation, like one of the most basic principles of, of a yoga practice, you are literally activating, stretching every area of your body. There's not one part of your body. You're going to move parts of your body you didn't even know you had in a yoga class, you know? And so you're targeting everything. So regardless, and here's the other thing too, right? Like just because you have a bad lower back, like that bad lower back that you have might not even be your lower back. That's the problem. Like maybe your hamstrings are so tight that it's pulling on your lower back, you know? And so regardless of whether you're focusing on, um, opening up your hamstrings, you're going to stretch every part of your body. So if it's not stemming from that part of your body, you're going to get to the part that it is. So you're literally targeting your whole body. It's a full body activation. Where is Anthony going in terms <laughs> of yoga teaching? I know you don't like setting rules, but do you set goals for yourself? Um, it's not that I don't set goals. I don't know. Maybe I should be a little bit more focused on that. Um, but honestly, like, here's the thing. You know, I started this podcast by saying yoga found me. And that's one of my biggest philosophies in life. Like, and this is one of the greatest teachings of yoga. It's like, we think we have to force so much in life, but even healing, you know, like our body does that. Our body regenerates. We're just sort of like getting rid of all the obstacles that stop the body from doing what it does naturally. And it's not to say you don't need to show up and you don't need to work hard in life. Like I do all that. Often the opportunities that find me, often the connections that I make, everything to do with work and where my work takes me just kind of finds me. Um, and I think all of us can agree with that in some, on some level. You know what I mean? Like often the biggest shifts that happen in our life, it's not when we're looking for it. It just happens. And I think there's intelligence not only to our body, but to the universe, I'll call it. I know that can sound a little bit out there for some people, but let's be honest, like we're not controlling whether the earth is rotating around the sun right now. Like it's just happening. 
you know, like there's obviously a lot of intelligence kind of keeping all this shit happening and going and sustaining in every moment of the day. And so my approach is, is to just like when these opportunities find me to just do as good of a job as I can, but to just allow things to unfold organically. Not a very good social media strategy though. <laughs> What's your, what yoga pose do you hate the most? Hate the most. We're back at that hate. But we're word, back right? at the hate again. But you we, know what? Though there's, uh, we all have poses we don't like. So, what what is a pose you try and avoid? I have to think about that because I really do see value in most of them. Let's let's put it this way: like any sort of. Um, I know you like Ashtanga, Danny. <laughs> I know that's your practice right now, and there's there's good value in everything, and everyone finds what's right for them, right? Me specifically, like a lot of the Ashtanga poses, for instance, like putting my ankles behind my head, that just doesn't work with my body. You know I don't I mean? want anyone to to think that I can <laughs> put my ankles behind my head. I know, right? It, um, so I would say like the more intense postures where you really do need to have that range of motion. Because some people like, you know, they're born with bodies that it's actually, actually quite easy for them to do that. And like I've come leaps and bounds within my body. And who knows? I'm sure it'd be possible for me to do that one day if I stuck to that every day. But I've realized I get so much value out of even just like breathing and even being in a still practice of meditation. And so it's more the extreme poses that I stay away from, like putting my ankles behind my head sort of thing. But most other poses I see like a lot of value in. Where can people find you your content obviously we have this course uh which should be published uh, hopefully in the next few weeks which we'll keep everyone uh, posted about where can people find you instagram website mm-hmm. so it's actually the same name it's called nature of mindfulness uh, my website's natureofmindfulness.com and this is where i share all my meditations all my yoga videos um, i've got a ton of tools and strategies for good mental health so nature of mindfulness would be the spot to find me for sure. And definitely on Neil Asher once we uh, launch this course. Anthony, thank you very much. A pleasure meeting you, a pleasure working with you, and a pleasure having you as a guest here. Thank you, Danny. It's honestly an honor. So I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much. No worries. <laughs>